Our teaching today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and here we read the following. The Apostle Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in want, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is God's word. Last year, I preached on Thanksgiving, and I preached... On Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and this year I am preaching on Philippians chapter 4, the verses that immediately follow after it, verses 10 through 13. So this is, in some ways, this is the longest cliffhanger sermon I have ever done before. Uh, Just year after year, just one verse at a time. So stick with us. You're going to see in 20 years where this is going to land. But, uh, you know, a lot has happened in a year. Uh, Verses 4 through 9 are primarily about anxiety and the resources God gives us to deal with that. Verses 10 through 13 are primarily about contentment. And it's proportionately difficult to seemingly express gratitude and thanks the more you look around at an environment of circumstances where almost everyone you wish was a little bit different. And so uh, this year, celebrating something like Thanksgiving challenges our resources, challenges our abilities. And Paul says the key to all of it is this thing called contentment. Now, what is contentment? Um, It's actually, believe it or not, commanded by God. You say, well, where is it commanded by God exactly? Well, in the last of the commandments, last of the commandments is about this thing called coveting. What is coveting? Coveting is inappropriate desires for things that you do not have. And it's interesting. Covet is like a word that we all still know the meaning of, but no one uses it. It's almost dropped out of the English language. You know why that is? It's partially because we live in a society that is forever driving consumerism and driving materialism and driving the pursuits of our hopes and our dreams and our wants and our desires for our lives to such an extent that we barely even have a word in our English language anymore for inappropriate desires because we never stop to think whether or not a desire is good or bad. We just assume our desires are like who we are. And so in some respects, we almost like lack the vocabulary to achieve contentment today. And yet we all need it and we all want it. And when you lack the vocabulary for it, it makes it really difficult to... Uh, remedy this problem of discontentment. In fact, the other night I was watching the news and I saw a psychologist from here in Milwaukee who said his, uh, at his local practice, their cases are up over 300% over last year at this time. 300% plus. That means there are more than three times as many people in professional counseling today as there were last year at this time. And you know, I, first and foremost, I'm, I'm grateful for those resources. I'm grateful that we live in a society that has afforded that kind of professional help 
to deal with and process things in life. And yet I also like totally understand the limitations of those kinds of things. And my favorite quote perhaps on the limitations of things like psychology and, and, and that kind of clinical therapy is from a 20th century cultural anthropologist who uh, in his Pulitzer Prize winning The Denial of Death, uh, Ernest Becker wrote this. It's always stuck with me. He says, all the analysis in the All the analysis in the world, he's talking about psychology and that kind of counseling help. All the analysis in the world does not allow the person to find out who he is and why he's on earth and why he has to die and how he can make life a triumph. It is when psychology pretends to do this, when it seeks to offer a full explanation for human unhappiness, that it becomes a fraud and makes an impasse from which you cannot escape. Do you follow what he's saying there? Psychology, it offers all sorts of blessings. It helps reveal what you're currently building your life on. It can offer you all sorts of helpful techniques uh, to eliminate negative thinking patterns, and that is all good stuff. What it can't answer is, why am I here? And why do we have to die? And why do we have to suffer? And, uh, you know, what is this life really all about? How do I make an impact in a meaningful life? In other words, all these different things that contribute to our contentment, that are necessary for contentment, it doesn't fully fulfill. In other words, psychology can do things like it can identify what you feel guilty about, but it can't completely take away the guilt. It can teach you really valuable uh, techniques, like behavioral techniques to reduce anxiety, but it cannot give you some sense of like deep equilibrium, peace, and contentment, whatever the circumstances. And therefore, I think our definition of contentment is something like it's a peace and a hope, a joy, a contentment that goes beyond uh, any circumstances, irrespective of circumstances, irrespective of if your life is filled with wonderful meals and being able to watch football all day long and being able to celebrate with family or if it's filled with pandemics and unemployment and hospital ICUs. By the way, there's nothing wrong, I wanna make this clear, there's nothing wrong with wanting good circumstances. Uh, there's a problem with wanting circum- good circumstances more than anything, because then we worship good circumstances. One minister I heard put it like this, he said, uh, the difference between a healthy Christian want and coveting is in healthy want, Uh, you're the dog and want is the tail. But in coveting, want is the dog and you're the tail. In other words, it's driving your life. It's making the decisions. It's calling all of the shots. And coveting is like such an intense desire for certain things that you think you need and you believe that, well, if I don't have this, if I can't have this, then my life isn't even worth living. Okay. Paul says, yeah, you all struggle with that. We all struggle with that. But the remedy to that is godly contentment. And he actually goes so far as to say it's a secret. (laughs) What does he mean by that? I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He's saying it's not obvious. It's not natural. It's not intuitive. Nobody just figures it out. The only way you can find it is if God reveals it to you. So what exactly is the secret? And Furthermore, he also says something really interesting. At the end of the section that I just read, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation. And he says, then he says, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. That is one of the most 
misused and abused passages, I think probably in the Bible. I think growing up, I'm pretty sure I even had a poster that was like of somebody dunking a basketball in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 is not about you dunking a basketball. Uh, God does not guarantee you can dunk a basketball. And furthermore, it's not a secret how to dunk a basketball. Lose weight and get more strength in your legs. You can dunk a basketball. It's not a secret. It's physics. Okay. So it's, it can't be about that. It can't be about, you know, the other post, the, the rock climbing and all the overcoming self-empowerment and overcoming all my personal obstacles in life. Like it can't be that. Um, all things that Paul is referring to, I can do all things. He's talking about the peace, joy, and contentment in pandemic-like circumstances. Not everybody can do that. In fact, no one can naturally do that. But we can do all of that in Christ. In fact, it, not only is it not personal empowerment, in some respects, it's the opposite of personal empowerment. It's a refusal of self and a denial of self and a losing and distrusting of self. See, there's many, many really well-intentioned Christians that I've worked with in counseling over the years that will admit, you know, I just wish I had more faith. Like if I, I wish I trusted God more and I know this is a problem and I wish I had more faith. I wish I had more contentment. I wish I had more trust. And here's the thing, that like wanting more faith is not out of our grasp, but you have to understand what the problem is. Yes, we want more spirit given faith, but to trust in God more, it doesn't just require you to have more faith. It requires you to trust yourself less. You know what I'm saying? In other words, to have more faith, every, nobody doesn't have faith. Everybody's got faith. It's just a matter of what you put your faith in. Um, even the most skeptical and cynical of people, and I don't believe in God, and I'm not going to listen to a word that preacher says, and I don't believe, and I don't trust authorities, and I don't trust relationships. It's not that they don't trust. Of course they trust. They just trust their own personal thoughts, feelings, and self more than they trust anybody else. To grow in faith requires not just that you have more spirit-given faith, but that you repent of trusting in yourself so much. See, uh, the moment you can say, yeah, I haven't figured it out, and I've made a bunch of bad decisions, and I'm actually not even competent to run my own life, see, that's really fertile ground in which the spirit can actually grow. Paul gives us another insight here. He says, the opportunities in life that expose what we really put our trust in, in other words, whether our joy and our happiness comes from just the good circumstances around us or from a deep inner resource of the spirit, the things that really expose that are two conditions. He says, plenty and want. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, in plenty or want. Now, Paul's a guy who knows what he's talking about, right? Because Paul's a guy who we know uh, at times had relative prosperity and at other times, uh, specifically on like his missionary journeys, at times he's hungry and he's beaten and he's imprisoned. And he says, it was during that time that I figured out what actually gave me joy. Was it just the good circumstances around me or was it the spirit stirring in me? And he says, it's those two circumstances. See, all of us think that we know what we need in order to make us content. And all of us instinctively are wrong. We all think, you know, if I just had uh, better, you know, the right school or the right career 
or the right romantic relationship or better health or better finances or better friends, then I'd finally be content. No, you wouldn't because those are circumstances. Those, you get those things, but when I get those things, I feel good. Yes, temporarily. That's called a drug. Drug highs are temporary. Contentment is perpetual. Paul says there's two different circumstances that reveal whether or not you are just into drug highs in life or you have inner joy, plenty and want. Now, why is that? Well, see, want is, it's when your dreams are crushed or your dreams are achieved. Those are the two times. When your dreams are crushed and you think, oh, my life is not worth living anymore. And most of us have been through that at some point in time. You go through some kind of breakup or you lose your job or you lose your health or something. You, you lose whatever you think your hope is based on and you lose that and your dreams are crushed. Life is not worth living. Well, that, that means your value system was off the entire time. And it's time to recalibrate that. The other time it happens, most of us haven't achieved this one, but it's when you actually get the things that you dream about in life. And you think, this is going to solve all my problems. And I'm finally, if I can only have this, then I'll finally be happy. And it, you get it. And it's nice for a second. And then tomorrow comes. And you realize that it didn't solve all your problems. And you realize that you're not in a perpetual state of gratitude. And you realize then that your value system was off the entire time too. Paul's talking about the revelatory power of being in plenty and want. Now, most of us live our lives in the middle most of the time, but when you experience those things, let them be learning opportunities, plenty and want. And so here's what we've said so far. Let me just kind of summarize real quick because Paul's got a couple interesting points. Number one, expressing gratitude, particularly during difficult, difficult circumstances is hard. Number two, it's so hard. It's so non-intuitive. It's so non-obvious and non-natural that it's a secret that has to be revealed by the spirit. Number three, what you actually base your joy on is primarily revealed by extreme situations of plenty and want. And number four, the secret has to do with finally understanding the things of this world cannot give me what I really need. I'm trying to squeeze out of this world all the things that actually only God can give me. And therefore, God alone is the one who can satisfy me. And God alone is only going to give me what's in my best interest in life moving forward. And the fifth point then is this last one. It's a process. Part of the secret of being content is understanding that the secret is in fact a process. You notice that the apostle Paul never says, I discovered the secret of being content. He says, I learned the secret of being content. There's a difference. Discovering is like when you discover buried treasure and the treasure chest is there and all of a sudden you have it and like that, it changes. That's discovering something. Learning is like a technique. It's, you develop it. You can learn something better and better as time goes on. And the secret of being content that you learn is a process. What's the process? You ready? I'm going to share it with you. Number one, you have to identify your idols. Um, really simple technique. When you're really frustrated and downcast in life, ask yourself the question, what besides Jesus Christ have I placed my functional trust in in life? In other words, what in my life, I call myself a Christian. I confess the Christian creeds. I, what in my life, if uh, I don't have it, I feel like I'm going to die. What in my life do I think I need to have in order to have hope, security, 
meaning and purpose and identity in life. Whatever that thing is other than Jesus Christ, functionally, it's serving as what the Bible calls an idol. It's a a false priority, a mispriority, the primary thing in your life other than Jesus sitting on the throne. Now, there's countless possibilities for that, but let me just give you one this time of year. Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving is generally a time that we think of in terms of family celebration and togetherness and holiday joy and making memories. And for the vast majority of us, if not all of us, the holiday is going to look a little bit different this year, right? Uh, It looks different from prior years. It looks different from what we would choose. And anytime that happens in life, there's good reason to mourn that. Because whenever this life, this fallen world, isn't what we always hoped and dreamed it would be, like there's a, there's a necessary and healthy mourning process in all of that. However, how deep does the mourning go? How, you know, how much does it wreck you? Um, it, do, it, are you so sad because you can't be with so-and-so or so sad that you can't do whatever that it's like, oh, I'm so angry at everyone. I'm I'm angry at God, even though I might not say that because I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I'm so frustrated. Or for that matter, you're willing to trample over other people or other things or endanger other people or endanger things in order to make your dreams come true. See, what you're doing at that point is that's a spiritual issue. You're worshiping your false God. You're serving your false God. Uh, it's, you're, you're, you're acknowledging my functional trust is in that thing. I need that thing in order to be well. And that's any, if that Jesus isn't the thing, that's a problem. That's a spiritual issue. It's impossible to repent of idols that you don't even see. It's impossible to repent of idols that you don't even know are there. The first step in finding godly contentment is you have to identify the things other than Jesus Christ in your life that you think you need to make you well and repent for thinking or believing or living with your functional trust in it, not Jesus, okay? So finding your idols is number one. Number two, to find contentment, you have to preach, yourself, preach the gospel to yourself. Now, what does that mean? The secret, in, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying, and I already alluded to it, but the secret is the love of Jesus Christ. It's finding that everything that I've ever really craved everything that I've ever really uh, just yearned for and wanted to, in order to feel satisfied, it's actually all wrapped up in the love of Jesus Christ. And so you have to ask yourself questions like, what has Jesus done for me? Remind yourself and answer those questions. What has Jesus done for me? What has Jesus said about me? What has Jesus turned my future into? How much does he love me? And how has he proven to me that he really loves me? By the way, two of the biggest causes of discontentment in life, and for that matter, negative feelings in general, are two things, guilt and lack of righteousness. Guilt is I feel bad about all the mistakes that I've made. And lack of righteousness is I feel bad about all the things that I think I'm supposed to be or my parents expect me to be or everybody else expects me to be and I'm not those things. Guess what Jesus came to deliver? At the cross, he gave you both the forgiveness of your sins. 2,000 years ago, past fact, nobody can ever take that away from you. And secondly, he didn't just do that. He also gifted to you his righteousness. And what's righteousness? It's a perfect track record. It's a perfect character. It's a perfect perfect life. It's rightness. Righteousness is rightness. Rightness with God. Rightness with myself. What, What Jesus gave me, it allows me to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I like you because God loves you. 
And I know your future is better than your past. And I also know that whatever you're struggling with in the present is part of Jesus' specific personal discipleship journey that he has you on. And he's holding your hand and guiding you along the way because he's looking to build you into the ultimate version of yourself. So uh, to find contentment, number one, you got to find your idols and repent. Number two, you got to preach the gospel to yourself and relax. Number three, you have to adjust your expectations a little bit and live. Part of the reason that contentment eludes a lot of us is because a lot of times Christians fail to make any distinction between the wilderness of life and the promised land. We forget where we're at and we're trying to squeeze all of the promised land glory out of the material of a wilderness in which we're living. And honestly, sometimes we do it because we're so incredibly blessed in the wilderness. We're so blessed in the midst of a wilderness that we try to hold on to those blessings and make our lives about those things. But we forget that those things, you know what they are? They're, they're like uh, appetizers, if you will. They're foretastes. They're pointers to what one day will be for all eternity. In other words, the good things of life stimulate in you desires and cravings that they can't actually themselves satisfy. You follow that? Let me say it one more time because that's, this is an important thing and I'm not going to let C.S. Lewis say it better than I can say it. But the good things that you experience in life, they arouse in you like these desires that interestingly enough, they in and of themselves can't fully satisfy. It's part of the reason why we get addicted to those things because we're trying to squeeze out of them more. We think they feel good. And so if I get more and more and more, maybe that'll finally satisfy you. And it never actually satisfy you because they're just arousing desires for something or more importantly, someone else to fully satisfy. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in Mere Christianity and it forever changed the way I look at the pleasures of this world. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So for instance, a baby feels hunger. Well, it feels hunger because there is such a thing as food. And a duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. And humans feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can fully satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures we're never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse my desire for that place. I know many of you are in the practice every year if you go around the table and you state all the things that we should thank God for, all the blessings that we've received over the course of the past year and over the course of our lives. It's a great practice. It's a totally healthy habit. Do that. Do that every year. And, um, you know, it's intentional gratitude is wonderful. This year, I'm going to say do it a little bit differently, though, if you haven't done it like this before. Don't just thank God for all the blessings you've received. Specifically, lay out your gratitude for God for everything that will one day be in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've already given us so much to be thankful for in the wilderness of life. Our daily needs have been met and our sins have been paid for. But we also thank you today that we're confident the best is yet to come. So keep our eyes and our hearts focused on the resurrected life so that we may be even content right now. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.